Hey, I'm excited to share uh, what I feel like God has spoken to me through the, through the word. And we say this every week, every time you hear a scripture, or we try to at least, to make sure you read it on your own. Because I think there's something special that happens when you check the word of God for yourself. That you don't just listen to what I have to say um, and what I feel like God told me, but that you would get in the word. So every week, do, do yourself a favor. I'm telling you, it'll bless you. Go in the word of God and read it for yourself. I believe I've been talking about this. The next three years will be unprecedented. The favor and the blessing that will come to Oasis Church in every area. I'm telling you this. It's true. But the Bible would suggest and confirm that as we get the word in our heart, we become prepared for what God wants to bring. Does that make sense? It's kind of like your gift can bring you to a place that your character will help you lose. Does that make sense? So you got to get the word of God to shape your character so you can keep what God because you're not going to need it to get it. You're going to need it to keep it. Does that make sense? And you're going to need it for it to grow. So um, I don't want us to be so enamored with preaching that we don't do our own search through God's word. And, you know, I want to share with you Matthew 12 verses 40 through 41. And then we're going to jump into what I feel like God is saying. Matthew 12 verses 40 and 41 say this. For as Jonah was in the belly of the great fish for three days and three nights, so will the Son of Man be in the heart of the earth for three days and three nights. Jesus is literally comparing the three days between his death and resurrection to the three days Jonah spent in the belly of the fish. He says, it's compare it. You can compare it to that. And then he says, the people of Nineveh will stand up against this generation on Judgment Day. This was the city that Jonah preached to. And he said, they'll condemn it. Not Jonah, but Nineveh. For they repented of their sins at the preaching of Jonah. Now someone greater than Jonah is here, but you refuse to repent. I want to preach a message called Running from Greatness. Running from Greatness. You know, growing up, I had heard of the story of Jonah. And Jonah has a reputation of running from God. The Bible actually says in the book of Jonah that he ran from God. Um, but yet here in this passage of scripture, what's interesting is Jonah gets a real bad rap. God told him to do something. He ran from God. But, but the Bible doesn't say in Matthew 12 that, hey, Jonah was, was a guy who ran, ran from God. Don't be, be like that. Jesus says someone greater than Jonah is here. What was great about Jonah? I mean, I never heard of hearing anything great about Jonah. He preached with a bad attitude. He ran from God. He caused storms in people's life. But yet 3,000 years later, whatever it was, Jesus is saying, hey, something greater than Jonah has come. I would have been shocked by that. Greater than who? Can you imagine? Think about that person that you know is not great at all. Like, I'm not even, you might be saying that, never mind. You just... And Jesus speaks to you, right, and says, someone greater than Jerome is here. And Jerome stole money from you. Like, wait a minute, did you just call him great? That he, he called Jonah great, and I read through the four chapters of the book of Jonah, and I'm like, where? I'm, I'm licking my finger like, where? What did he do? Well, Jesus, why are you calling him great? And I think what happens in, in, in times of of great blessing and great favor is the enemy tries to redefine our definition of greatness. See, right now, I'm telling you, 
We are poised for one of the greatest moves of God this city and this world has ever seen. And in the gap between what I just said to you and then the fulfillment of what I just said, the enemy tries to redefine things. He tries to redefine identity. You're not a child of God. You're this, you're that, you're an actor, you're a fireman, you're this, you're whatever. This is your, you're, you're identified by your sexuality, you're this and that. And he tries to change the identity and all those things can be in your life. I get it, but that should never be the identity. The identity is I am a son. I am a child of God. I have the identity of my father. When I look in the mirror, Jesus came so that you could be righteous, so that you could have the character of Jesus, and everything in this world is getting redefined, and one of those things is greatness. You know why? Because in moves of God, there's always passion. God will put a divine passion on the inside of you, and the enemy knows that a passionate person, the enemy knows the fruit of passion is always pursuit. You pursue what you're passionate about. And you, you, you pursue what you're passionate about. So the enemy knows if I give them a passion for the church, they won't have to put 50,000 videos and slides and cards. In the day of your power, the people will freely volunteer. That's what the Bible says. Nobody has to ask you. We don't, when God's moving, we won't even need a growth track. You'll start your own growth track. You'll be just leading people in Bible studies. Why? Because passion creates pursuit. So if the enemy can redefine your definition of what you would call great, then you will pursue something that's great in your own eyes, not something that's great to God. Running from greatness. Yes, Jonah ran from God, but, but I believe more importantly, he, he ran from greatness. I know we all have like things in our life that we would just really want to run from. Anybody got a vision board? Right? Nobody has a vision board with pain on it. You didn't go in People Magazine and cut out the P, go in Essence Magazine and cut out the A, then go in another magazine, cut out the I, then go in another magazine, and then all crooked on your vision board. Pain, that's my vision for my life, that, that God would use pain in my life. Nobody puts that on a vision board. You put the car in the neighborhood you want to live in, but we don't say, we don't think that we can achieve purpose with pain. Greatness should come without pain, but the reality is the road to greatness is paved with bricks called pain. Don't forget to put that in your vision board, because if the enemy can, can, can redefine your definition of greatness, he can't take your passion from you, but he can redirect your passion. You know, in Romans 11, in Romans 11, Paul said this about the people that he beloved, his Jewish friends and his brothers and sisters. He says, I, I'd rather be cut off from Christ than to have them, I'd be cut off in Christ if they wouldn't know the Lord. For they have zeal, passion, but it's misdirected. So it wasn't that they didn't have passion, the enemy misdirected their passion. Paul, when he became, when, when he was knocked off his horse in Damascus, he didn't become a Christian. He got his passion redirected. He thought what he was doing, he was doing for God. So God showed up, the glory of the Lord, and redirected his passion and made him change what he thought was great. Jesus redefined his definition of greatness. And so he took that passion and it got redirected. Think about what we talked about last week. If you haven't got a chance to check it out and you weren't here last week, please watch the podcast or the YouTube. You know, I preached this message called Reverse the Curse, and the original sin is the, is the enemy redirected 
Adam and Eve's and redefine their definition of greatness. Look at Genesis 3, verse 5, where it says, For God knows that when you eat it, you're going to be great. You're going to be awesome. Your eyes will be opened and you'll be like God, knowing good and evil. Isn't that great? You don't want to walk around with God and learn from him personally and be in relationship for thousands of years and have to go through all that drama of figuring it out. No, just eat the fruit. Like he redefined their definition of what a great thing was to do. That's a hard sin to avoid. Not the lies and all this stuff, I get it, but the hard sin to avoid is when God shows up and says, come on, you should get your own church. You don't want to, you don't want to, you're too busy to serve. Right? You've got great things happening in your life. You're too busy to serve when the Bible says the greatest of, of all is the servant of all. See how he tries to sneak in? I tell you, when you don't have no job, you're signing up for everything. Freedom, growth, track, blessed life. Just you ain't got no job. God ain't blessing you. Like, where do I sign up? As soon as God does a move, you stop coming to church. Oh, yeah. Hey, Pastor Julian, you was there for me. <laughs> Woo, your servants when I was on the bottom. Come on, man. See, some of y'all been cheering the Clippers before they got Kawhi. See, see what I'm saying? That's what I'm talking about. Redefine your, 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 your definition of, of greatness, and I believe this is what happened with Jonah. Because as I look through the Bible in Jonah chapter 1, it, it starts with this sentence. It says, the word of the Lord came to Jonah son of Amittai, go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it. The great city of Nineveh and, and preach against it because its wickedness has come before me. But Jonah got mad. Nineveh was a, a tough place. Nineveh was one of the most brutal cultures in human history. I mean, I don't even want to get in some of the grotesque things that they would do, from building pyramids with the body parts of their enemies to let everybody know that the, the Ninevites had come through this town. The, the brutal executions. Uh, scholars, some scholars say they would bury people in the sand all the way up to their neck and just wait for them to die and decompose and let animals come. It was just insane. And Jonah had probably witnessed this happening to his friends. And so come on the reputation from running from God. I think it's a little deeper than that. I think a lot of us would run. I mean, this region was in the area of Iraq. It would be like somebody telling you, God telling you, go to Iraq and preach the gospel. Right? You might be on Southwest flight, first Southwest flight out of town. And so he, he had to go and he had to preach. And the Bible says he, he ran away from the Lord and headed to Tarshish. And, 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 I, and I understand this interpretation that when it was interpreted from the original Hebrew, but God is omnipresent. So David said, if I made my bed in hell, Lord, you're there. So we know God is everywhere. He was running from the assignment that God had given him because he didn't think and he didn't appreciate and he didn't agree with the assignment that God had given him. So he runs, and then he, he, he jumps up. He says he bought a plane ticket. He ran away from the Lord, headed for Tarshish. He went down to Joppa, where he found a ship bound for that port. After paying the fare, come on, he paid money to get away from God. He went aboard and sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. Then the Lord sent a great wind on the, on the sea, and such a violent storm arose that that ship threatened to break up. All the sailors were afraid, and each cried out to his own God, and then they threw the cargo into the sea to lighten the ship. That's what we do sometimes. We're in a storm. We throw cargo overboard. 
We throw things overboard. We quit our jobs. We leave people. We, we leave a church. We leave a community. We, we throw cargo overboard. And this is what they, they did. And it said, but Jonah had gone below deck where he lay down and fell into a deep sleep. Does this sound familiar? Jesus in a storm with his disciples, falling asleep. The Bible says the disciples woke him up. The Bible says the people on the, the, the boat woke Jonah up. Get up and call on your God. They said, maybe he will take notice of us so that we will not drown. And then the sailors said to each other, come let us cast lots to find out who's responsible for this calamity. They cast lots and the lot fell on Jonah. So they asked him, tell us who's responsible for making all this trouble for us. What kind of work do you do? Where do you come from? What is your country? What's your social number? Come on, what's your credit score? Something's going on. From what people are you? And Jonah answered, I'm a Hebrew and I worship the Lord, the God of heaven who made the sea and the dry land. This terrified them, and they asked, what have you done? <laughs> what are you doing? You know, <laughs> you know you're tripping when unbelievers say, what are you doing? <laughs> what is going on with you? Are you crazy? And look at the next sentence. This is so funny to me. They knew he was running away from the Lord because he had already told them. Can you imagine if God gives me an assignment and I'm running from God? and I book my flight on American Airlines and tell, tell the person, yeah, you know, so I'm running from God. Like, just like, and just give my boarding pass, I'm running from God. He's just telling everybody I'm running from God. I'm running from, from God. And so he tells him he's running from God, and then the Bible says the sea was, was getting rougher and rougher, so they asked him, hey, so um, what, what should we do to you to make the sea calm down for us? Think about this, the, the parallels between this and the story of Jesus. Jesus is, uh, was in a few storms in the Bible, but one of them, Jesus was walking on the water in the middle of a storm. Peter calls out to Jesus, Lord, if it's you, bid me, bid me to come out there with you. And, and Peter knew that if God said he could walk on water, he could. And then Peter panicked because of the waves and the storm. And then the Bible says that when Jesus got back in the boat, the water calmed. This time, the water is not calm because of who's in the boat. I wanna ask you, some storms in your life are based off who's in your boat. That's a tough, that's ouch. And, you know, we don't have you know, in the Bible, they used to wash feet and, you know, because that was part of the culture. Jesus washed the feet. But I can tell you as your pastor, I will personally find a way to manicure, manicure your foot and lotion your foot so you can kick somebody out of your boat just so it doesn't hurt them too much because somebody's in your boat that shouldn't be. You know, I, I, I want to encourage you that this is a hard one. But remember when Jesus raised a 12 year old girl from the dead and the Bible says he went to the funeral and everybody was laughing because they didn't believe. He cleared the room. Some miracles calls for you to clear the room. Some miracles you're waiting for calls for you to check the boarding passes of your boat and say, hey, yo, are you, are you caught? I know this is a tough point. That's why you're not clapping, but it's okay. It's okay. And you just got to do the Daniel LaRusso. Just like, hey, I love you. You just can't be in my boat. Not for this journey. I need people with faith. I got all the hell coming against me. I don't need somebody telling me I can't do it. I'm already thinking I can't do it. So let me, oh, 
oh, you know what I mean? I know I've had 10 boyfriends, but I'm still believing I'm gonna get married. Don't you speak over my life, I'm gonna be single forever. Oh, just right out the boat. Right, I know I've been living in sin my whole life, but I put my faith in Jesus and there's still a purpose and a plan. Girl, you know you wild, you ain't never gonna stop drinking. Oh, right out of the boat. Do you see what I'm saying? Somebody gotta kick somebody out of their boat in this season. Do I gotta come down and lotion your foot personally? Some of your storms are based off who's in your boat. And you got the wrong person in your boat and you're trying to believe God and they're, they're, they're speaking death where God's trying to speak life and you're crying out to Jesus to calm the storm but it's not going to calm because you got a, you got a stowaway on a boat that's moving towards God. And let me tell you something. We're stepping to the greatest. I'm telling you this next three years is going to be unbelievable in your life personally, in our church, and in this city, and in this world. And when God is doing something like that, when God is doing something like that, when God is doing something like that, the enemy will always provide a boat in the wrong direction. Every time, every time, God's getting ready to do something in your life. That thing you've been praying for for years is around the corner and the enemy's shouting, not a lie, but all aboard. You're not even being lied to. You're not even being lied to. You're just on a boat in the, the wrong direction. And, 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 and the people on the boat, unlike the story with Jesus, where when Jesus got in the boat, the storm calmed, they, they had this idea, we gotta get this guy off of this boat. They were so nice about it. He says, hey, so what, what should we do to you? What's going on? Sea's getting rougher and rougher. And, and Jonah said, pick me up and throw me into the sea. That's verse 12. And it will become calm. I heard a lot in my life that they, they threw Jonah overboard. But no, he volunteered. They remind you of somebody? Jesus said, nobody takes my life. I'll lay it down. <laughs> says he, he volunteered. I know it's my fault. And the great storm has, has come upon you. And the Bible says, instead, not willing to accept the sacrifice, the men did their best to row back to land. This is, the, this is the biggest symbol of religion. Hey, you want to believe in Jesus? Nope, I'll just keep rowing. I'll row even harder. Hey, you want to trust me with your finances? Nope, I'll just row even harder. Hey, you want to believe God? Nope, I'll just row even harder. I'll row even harder. And, and the Bible says they kept doing that. And this is what happens when you just row harder instead of believe more. It says the sea grew even wilder than before. Somebody is in the worst storm of their life and it's getting worse because you won't stop rowing. And you won't look to Jesus, the author and finisher of your faith, who sacrificed his life, his life, so that you could walk with him in the middle, in the middle of your, your storm. And this, this happened to Noah grew, I mean, not Noah, that was a water story too, I'll tell you that in a couple weeks, but um, they cried out to the Lord, please Lord, don't let us die for taking this man's life, Do you, don't hold us accountable for killing an innocent man for you, Lord, have done as you please. Then they took Jonah and threw him overboard, and the raging sea grew calm, and the men greatly feared the Lord, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows to him. Jonah was anointed. People are getting saved, and he's running. And says, now the Lord provided a huge fish to swallow Jonah.
and Jonah was in the belly of the fish. Three days. You know, Jonah called this later. Some, some uh, translates it the belly of Sheol, which is translated like hell. He was in the belly of the fish for three days and three nights. And I know the scripture says that, that Jonah was running from God. But I believe he was running from greatness. Because if you look at the moment that he ran, God didn't say, hey, you want to go somewhere? And Jonah ran. I know the scripture says he ran from the Lord, and he did. But I'm more identifying the moment where he chose to run. I want you to see this in scripture in Jonah chapter one. This is the moment that he chose to run. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai, and it said, go to the great city of Nineveh. The great city. The great city. There was nothing great about Nineveh. Nineveh was terrible. I wonder if Jonah would have went and said, go to the terrible city of Nineveh and I'm about to just destroy them all. Jonah's like, let's go. No, God said, go to the great city of Nineveh. And I believe Jonah in that moment, if he's like me, would have said, what do you mean great? God called something great that Jonah was calling evil and wicked, and they were evil and wicked, but God wanted to bring greatness out of what was evil and wicked. That's what God does. He calls things great that are not great. He calls things awesome that are not awesome. Awesome. He says, this is a great city. We got to do something about this. You know, sometimes you, you move to L.A., and I've heard people's stories of people moving to L.A., and, you know, their parents might come from, like, a nice suburban town, and, 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 and you know, I get it, and, and their parents will tell them, hey, I'm really worried about you moving to L.A. It's kind of like Babylon. You ever heard that? Like, L.A. is a terrible city, like, so much. Oh, you need to go to L.A., the great city of Los Angeles. Because God, maybe Los Angeles has done nothing great, but what if we just called it great? I believe that if you start to call a situation, somebody in here is running from something they deem to be Nineveh that God's calling great. Can you look at this situation and say, oh, this is great. This is great. God is calling you to call something great before it is, before you see a sign that it's great. You know what Jesus said to the Pharisees? This adulterous generation keeps asking for a sign. I wonder if the highest level of spiritual maturity is to call someone or something great that has not shown you a sign of greatness at all. Can you imagine? God said, this city is great. Can you call, you're in the city of Los Angeles. I don't know where you work right now. I don't know what you're calling Nineveh. I don't know where you're at, but can you have the faith to call it great? Can I tell you another passage of scripture that has marked me by what I call great? I refuse from this day forward to, for God to give me a sign before I call something great. This church is great. You're great. My pastors are great. My wife is great. My kids are great. Come on, somebody has a son in here who's wayward. And you're like, my son's on a journey. I'm praying for him to get better. No, why don't you just call him great right now? I really believe that there's greatness in your son. Call him great. Call him great. Speak life where the enemy's trying to bring death. This great city. You know, in, in, in a city like Los Angeles, you know, people uh, believe that God, and, and for me, I, ha I, don't, I don't love money. I do hate being broke, but I don't love money. I promise. Don't love money. And I, I've been talking about this with my, my, my friends. Like, I want God to be able to entrust me with riches. 
I don't want to be out there trying to pursue it. I don't want to be passionate about money so then I have to pursue money. I want to be passionate about God so that God can bring me things. And one of the wealthiest men ever, not one of, the wealthiest man ever was a man by the name of Solomon and most of his money was brought to him. Most of his money was brought to him. Besides being a king, Solomon didn't have any investments. He didn't put stock in Amazon. God, most of his wealth was brought to him. And many of us may have heard the story of Solomon on how he got his wealth. The Bible says that he got his wealth because he, God said, what do you want? And Solomon said, I want wisdom. And God said, I'll make you the richest person who ever lived. Bible scholars think this man might have been worth a trillion dollars in, in, in today's money. More money than what you know to do with, than what you would know to do with. But I want you to catch what Solomon actually said. 1 Kings 3.9 says, right after the Lord approached him, said uh, that, that Solomon's prayer, he answered him when, he, when God asked him, what do you want? Solomon said this, therefore give your servant an understanding heart or wisdom to judge your people that I may discern between good and evil. For who is able to judge this great people? What in the world was great about them? Have you read the Bible before 1 Kings? Cain killing Abel? People not repenting when Noah was preaching and penguins is getting on the boat and they won't? Adultery? What? What in the world did the Israelites do that was great before Solomon called them great? Two things. No, Jonah called the city great, Solomon called the people great, and I believe in that moment God said, oh, you want wisdom and you can see greatness? I'm about to bless you. Think about that for a second. Can you call a city great that has done nothing but put you in a situation where you don't know how you're going to pay your rent? Can you not say, oh, man, you just know Los Angeles. Nope, you know, people say all the time, you know, in L.A., I guess we, we won't get a house in L.A. Who said? My Bible says he'll bless you in the city and in the field, and I want to speak to you. You don't have to move to the field. You just need to be obedient in the city, and you can have... I don't want to move to a place where I can be disobedient and buy a house. I want to live in a place that if I'm not obedient, it ain't coming. Don't, don't, don't do it. Call the city great. I want to give you a challenge. If God wants to redefine your definition from greatness, if you are staying away from people who don't believe what you believe, are you running from greatness? If you're running away from a city and a church because somebody offended you, are you running from greatness? I want to tell you, somebody ran from you, and they ran from greatness. I'm telling you that right now. Somebody broke up with you, and they ran from greatness. They thought you was from Nineveh, but you are... The father Abraham said, I'm going to make you the father of a great nation. You are a great nation, a royal priesthood. I don't know who rejected you or abandoned you, but I'm telling you right now, they ran from greatness. Don't you run from greatness because somebody ran from you. Do you see what I'm saying? There's greatness. And I wonder if the moment that Jonah ran is when he didn't call it what God called it. And so God did a few things to stop Jonah from, from, from running. He did four things. 
He used four things primarily in this passage of Scripture. And one of those things is he used the Word. The Bible says in Jonah chapter 1, the Word of the Lord came to Jonah. The Word of the Lord. And when we talked about this thing, when Jamaica talked about this thing on, that we're doing on July 10th, this grow groups, we are camping around the presence of God. When you do a conference or an event, we do some, our, our She Rises was unbelievable. Thousands of people came out. But what if thousands of people, those same thousands, came to a Bible study and enriched their lives with the Word of God? Jonah said the Word. The Word is not a book. It's not just a book. It's provision. It is alive, powerful, and active. The Bible says it's the sword of the Spirit. And when the enemy shows up to take what God has proclaimed over your life and you yank out that butter knife of your own thought and opinion, that's why you're getting destroyed. Because you're just breaking out that butter knife. Don't know no scripts, don't know what God has to say about you and just trying to slash at the devil with a butter knife. But the Bible says the word of God is the sword of the Spirit. We got to get some word in us. God sent the word. God sent the word. Now, it's easy for me to look at that as provision. Because even if I, I'm struggling this season to read the Bible, I can admit the word of God is awesome. As a Christian, the word of God is awesome. But you know what God also sent? He sent the wind. He, he sent the wind. Jonah 1.4 says that the Lord sent a great wind on the sea. And such a violent storm arose that the ship threatened to break up. See, see, God will send a wind sometimes to break up the thing that you're using to hide from him. He'll send a wind sometimes. He'll send a mighty rushing wind. I'm telling you, even in the book of Haggai, it says the Lord sent a wind to blow away what the people had earned because they were too busy building their own houses, not the house of the Lord. And he said a wind. Think about that for a second. Now, that's not a bad thing. It's basically this premise that God allows things to happen in our life to change directions. Come on, half the people in this room, if not more, gave their life to Jesus in a tough season. Right? You're not, you weren't on a mountaintop, fours, five hundreds, just sitting in a boardroom like, I need to give my life to the Lord. No, you were on the bottom, struggling, and you realized something needs to change. And God sent the wind to get your attention. And I believe that this is a season where if we would, we would trust God in the storm, trust God in the storm, that God would use this wind that you think is blowing away everything you work so hard for. I know it's hard, but God will, I'm telling you, God will do something so special. If you just trust him when the wind is blowing and the storms are raging, if you would just trust him. He sent the word, he sent the wind. You know what's really crazy? He sent a whale. Three days and Jonah compared the whale to hail. I'm just trying to make it rhyme. But he, he said, this was like Sheol. This is terrible. He's, he's in the whale. Can you imagine? I don't even eat sushi. And you're going to put me inside of the fish gut? Like, he was in the whale praying to God. I don't know what you're going through, but the Bible says Jonah did two things on the inside of the whale. He prayed and he praised. I want you to catch this, and I don't have time to read the whole passage, but it says Jonah praised God and the whale spit him up. I don't know what you feel has a hold of you right now, but the enemy has a hard time holding on to a praiser. 
I don't know in life you feel like what is swallowing you up right now, but that situation or that thing that's swallowing you up is getting ready to spit you up if you would just praise God. Come on, somebody in here might be in the belly of the beast for three days and three nights. You just need to give God a shot of praise and that very thing that you feel like has a hold on you is getting ready to spit you right up if you would praise and pray in the middle of what feels like hell. The praise of heaven will get you out of a situation that feels like hell. It says immediately the fish spit him up. But the Bible doesn't say that the fish was punishment. And I heard that a few times growing up. Dude, Jonah ran from God. So God had a fish swallow him up. No, that's not what it says. That's not what it says at all. In Jonah 1.17, it says the Lord provided a fish. It was provision. What if the very thing in your life you think is a problem is provision? What if you, what if you need to thank God for the fish? Thank God for the whale. Thank God for the situation that you feel like is swallowing you up. Thank God for it. And what if you praised God? And right in that moment, that's when it spit you out. The Lord provided, used the word, the wind, and, and the whale. But then I caught this one too. The Lord, the Lord used a worm. Jonah preached to the people of Nineveh with a bad attitude, by the way. I think Jonah is the greatest preacher of all time because he had the worst attitude, the worst sermon, and the most results. <laughs> you know, the Bible says his sermon was one sentence. God's getting ready to destroy this city in 40 days. <laughs> like no sermon prep, no Bible study, nothing. No eloquent stories, no points. Just told them God's getting ready to destroy this city. And they all repented. The animals was fasting. <laughs> Read this stuff. You imagine you're, the preacher's so anointed, the dog just puts away the puppy child, like, oh, we need to see God. Like, just. And all he said was one sentence with a bad attitude, and the whole city repented. Can you imagine a praying with somebody that is an enemy of you, and they have cancer, and you hate them, and God makes you pray for them? And so he said, go lay hands on them and pray for them. And you don't want to, so you walk over there and just, you don't even put your whole hand on them. Just, you don't even put your whole hand on them. Just a pinky, like, you know, just your nail too. My nails ain't long, but just your nail and say, okay, fine. Be healed. And a tumor falls off of them. Can you imagine? Some of y'all are just waiting for you to want to do it. Just do it. God will move in your bad attitude. Just do it. So he says, Jonah preached this message, and then he was hoping that God would destroy the city. So it says in, in Jonah 3, verses 1 through 5, then the Lord came, the, the, the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time, go, and he preached. He said he obeyed, and then Jonah was mad. And so he, the Bible says he goes and he sits down in the sun, and the Lord provided like a palm branch and Jonah sat underneath the palm branch and watched the city. That's what we do. We love, we love to like preach to people but don't be in their lives, don't want to be around them. So we say, hey, I'm going to give you this Bible verse. Now let me send her this thing and watch how you do before I come over there and engage with you. So Jonah sitting underneath his palm frond and he's all nice and cozy. 
And the Bible says the Lord provided it. 24 hours later, literally it says that Jonah was so comfortable and his discomfort was relieved. 24 hours later, you know what the Lord sent? He sent a worm to chew up the very thing that God had provided because Jonah was getting too comfortable in what the Lord had provided. So the Lord sent a worm to chew up so Jonah would get up. And some of you, have, something in your life is being chewed up that you've been doing a long time, that you've been, it's getting chewed up. You've had, you used to having money, you used to having success, it's getting chewed up so you'll get up. Because he never meant for that thing to be something you just sit underneath and find comfort while you watch what happens to other people. I believe God's calling you to get up out from under that thing so the Lord sent the word, the wind, the whale, and the worm. And the worm represents the thing in your life that God is chewing up because you have found too much comfort in it. This is a hard one, but it's a good one. Turn your neighbor and say this. That's a hard one, but it's a good one. The, the, the word, the, the wind, the whale, and the worm God used so that Jonah would stop running from greatness and to greatness. And then the Bible says Jonah 4 ends weird. Jonah's arguing with God. Dude, I knew you were going to do this. That's why I don't want to preach. I wanted them to be condemned. I knew you were going to move like that. Arguing. The, literally, the book of the Bible ends with Jonah arguing with God. I searched Jonah 1, Jonah 2, Jonah 3, Jonah 4, high and low, and couldn't find one thing that impressed me. But yet, thousands of years later, in Matthew 12, Jesus says, one greater than Jonah has come. I just can't fathom that God would call Jonah great. If God could say that about Jonah, I wonder what he has to say about you. Maybe you're not running from God, you're running from, from greatness. I want you to stand to your feet. I want you to stand to your feet. Thank you, Jesus. Maybe you're in here and quite honestly, you're thinking about getting a divorce or you've thought about it. And I want to challenge you. It might be hard, but you, 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 you're running from greatness. I get it. I'm married. It's super hard being perfect and married to someone who's not. That's what we think though, right? That's what makes us run from greatness. That's what makes us run from, from greatness. But what can help you stay and focus on greatness is when you realize that your, your wife or your husband, that you might be Nineveh and they married Nineveh. I, I wanna tell you that the Bible would suggest that all of us are Ninevites on the inside. And that now through faith in Jesus, we're the bride of Christ. Not only did Jesus preach to Nineveh, he married Nineveh. He said, I wanna spend the rest of my life can you imagine if we had that same attitude towards the places God has called us and the people he's called us to be around? That we would allow God to shape our definition of grace, greatness. We would stop running from it. This is a hard one because somebody's running from something because it looks like Nineveh. It looks like it's not great, but it is. It's shown you no sign that it's ever gonna work out or that it's ever gonna change. 
no sign. Jesus said, don't be like the adulterous generation who asked for a sign. Can you call something great that has not shown you a sign? Come on, somebody's anthem in life is not walk by faith. It's I seen a sign. Like you just want to see a sign. And it opened up my eyes. I saw the sign. No, no, no. God doesn't want a sign to open up your eyes. He wants faith. I can't see it, but I'm going to say it. Will you say what you can't see? You want a move of God in your life like never before? Say what you can't see. I'm going to give you a moment right now to say what you can't see. Just under your breath. Just, just call something great that you've been waiting to change so you can call it great. Just without seeing a sign, just call it great. Just declare it great over that situation. Declare it great. That's what God says about you. Because guess what? When you call that thing great, when you call that thing great, now when you look in the mirror and over the years, no one's ever called you great. Jesus has called you great. Before you got the chance to be great. Want me to prove it to you? Hebrews chapter 12 says, for the joy set before Jesus, he endured the cross. Jesus was hanging on the cross looking at your greatness and saying, I know they don't know me. I know they haven't put faith in me, but they are my joy. I see greatness in my people. In Genesis, he told Abraham, I'm making you the father of a great nation. In the book of Acts, he told Peter, don't call unclean what I have called clean. God is pronouncing greatness and if you can look at that situation and see greatness, maybe you'll look within and see the greatness that God has put in you. God has not called anybody to be an editor for other people. God makes the edits. The Holy Spirit makes the edits. So maybe you're in a situation and you need to call it great. Maybe you feel like you've been running from God and really it's just greatness. I want you to lift your hands to the heavens. I feel the Lord is going to shift somebody's definition and turn somebody around right here in this place.